0: Well, didn't Phil kick some goals last week? Beginning the series so strong, I, um, I think you've got second prize today. I think first prize came last week. And uh, Phil and his uh, concept of looking at fatherhood, not from a stronger point of view, but from the weaknesses that a father needs to have in order to be a stronger father, which is uh, sort of like a... a, a Twisted concept in when you first think about it, but it really makes sense when you hear it presented the way Phil and his company, (laughs) Phil et al., I think Al was there, um, did that presentation last week. I was really encouraged by it. Well, you know, some wag has uh, decided that if you uh, have uh, your life without God, Uh, a week would look like this. Today would be Sin Day, Monday would be Mourn Day, Tears Day, Waste Day, Thirst Day, Fight Day, and Shatter Day. (laughs) And uh, the sum total of that is that you'd have seven days without God makes you weak. (laughs) Yes, the dad joke's out of the way. Okay, somebody keeping a record? (laughs) Yeah, okay, well, the theme today is stronger in joy, stronger in joy, and I know Craig uh, relates to that immediately, he's always stronger in joy, Uh, but the big idea that I want for you out there, the big idea for you is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord. Now note that it's the joy of the Lord, not our joy is our strength. Our joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I want to deal with it in in sort of three parts so that uh, it makes sense, hopefully, and comes together at the end for you. And the first part is the world's concept of joy. What does the world, our world, particularly our Australian materialistic culture, how do we understand the word joy here in, in Aussie? And the second is the Bible's concept of joy. What does the Bible really mean when we read the word joy in the Bible? What is the meaning behind that? Is it the same? Is it different? What do we need to know? And then thirdly, uh, because it's important here, we have this concept of pathways here at this church where we sense that we need to be deliberate in moving through life, not just wander around but to have a deliberate strategy and so we have a pathway here uh, and I want to help you with a pathway for moving from the world's joy or the joy of the world out here in our culture to the biblical concept of joy, moving through this pathway together. And that's very important for reasons that will become clearer. Well, let's start with the world's concept of joy. Now, I'm talking about a non Christian concept, uh, a materialistic worldview uh, that's all around us, becoming more so in Australia as time goes on. And um, it's nothing new. You know, we think materialism and uh, this uh, concept is is only just now, but it's nothing new. For instance, even in the New Testament, the joy of the pagan, the joy of the non-God person was found in God's material blessings. They enjoyed the sunshine and the food and the crops that God gave them even though they didn't acknowledge him. In, uh, in Acts 14, uh, Luke records, he says, um, Paul is he's re- recording Paul talking to the Zeus worshippers. These are the, the false god worshippers that worshipped the God of Zeus, the God called Zeus, Uh, in Lyssa and he says yet God has not left himself without testimony he has shown kindness to you by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons he provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy and even in the old testament there were followers of God who were only actually following him for what they could get out of it they weren't really God followers they were God fans because he provided things. In Matthew 5.45, Jesus uh, uh, reminds us that God reigns on the just and the unjust. The world that operates according to God's laws does not differentiate between those that believe in him and those who don't. The benefits of believing in him are out of this world. They're heavenly benefits as well as the journey through Now, if we were to look up for a definition of um, joy in our online dictionaries, which is what I did, we would find that we'd see something like this. Uh, Joy is an emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good and satisfying. It's a glad expression of glad feeling. And... uh, the subtext there is that it's due material possessions, circumstances or events. This is the modern culture, modern culture world that we're talking about. It's a subjective joy. It's as a result of the circumstances and the things that we experience. Remember, note that there was no mention of God in that definition. Uh, and the emphasis was on feelings, very much a subjective definition. So that's the world's concept of joy. The things that I feel when I get something or gain something or experience something that is, produces gladness within me. That's the world's concept of joy. No underlining of God in there and, and it's an emphasis on feelings. Well, now let's have a look at the very different, very different meaning of joy in the Bible. Well, as uh, those of you who have been around a while would know that there are um, two different parts to the Bible. There's the Old Testament, the old message, the old story, uh, which really dates from creation through to about 400 years before Jesus Christ came to earth, and the primary language of the Old Testament is the Hebrew, Uh, a Hebrew language, uh, a very old language, not used today in its current form. And and so, in order to understand what uh, the word joy in Hebrew means, we need to consult the Hebrew scholars. And uh, I couldn't get them on the phone, so I had to look up in a book. Uh, And uh, so, there are uh, three different uh, words in Hebrew, primarily, that are used to convey in English uh, the meaning of joy. And the first one is that uh, of joy at God's attributes, in other words, who he is and who he was, what he did. A joy that comes from knowing who God was. There's another one which is the, to describe the jubilant shouts that would go up at times of sacrifice and worship and so on at God's amazing saving works when he saved Israel from its fates. Uh, a, a shout of jubilant joy from a celebration and a worship gatherings. So, if you were here and you were in Hebrew times, every time something uh, was described uh, about something that God did, when when uh, Jake was baptized, there would be a jubilant shout for joy rather than just an enthusiastic clapping, because that is more cultural for that time. But that's one of the meanings of the joy. And then the third one is where there's a glad enthusiasm provoked by God and His Word, a glad and joyful disposition. When they were sitting reading God's scriptures or it was being read to them, there would be this joyful feeling as a result of that uh, uh, meaning in their life. For example, after the exiled nation of Israel was returned to Jerusalem, or some of them were returned, they gradually rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem as their first priority. And then um, the priests and the leaders gathered them together and uh, they read to them from the book of law. And I'll read to you from Nehemiah chapter 8, 8 to 10. And so in front of all the people, they read from the book of the law of the God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all this day is holy to the Lord your God do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law Nehemiah said go and enjoy the choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared this day is holy to our Lord do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength so here's the situation. They gathered en masse and remember in those, in those days, not n- literacy was not a widespread thing and so they depended on the priests and the teachers to to read for them the scriptures and remind them of the scriptures. And here they're reading out the law of God and reminding the people of what God required of them and they are so struck by their sin and the, and the failure to keep those laws that they begin... Individually but en masse to weep and to confess in a uh, what must have been a quite a noisy experience because they're so uh, got to by God's word at their failure. And Nehemiah doesn't say, Oh, well, yeah, and so you should, you lot. He says, No, this is a cause for celebration. We have rediscovered, we have revisited God's teaching. Go and celebrate, be joyful, because we've been restored. And so they were encouraged to go off to their homes, get their quickly picnic baskets together and gather their friends who perhaps hadn't been there and celebrate and take some to those who aren't able to get there. Meals on wheels. (laughs) And, And so they would be celebrating together. This was the joy that comes through from the Old Testament. And joy in the Old Testament is rarely a private emotion. It's rarely a private emotion. It's rather an enthusiastic response of a feasting or worshiping community to God's visible or tangible or intangible blessings. Community, you see, is so important in old Hebrew times. Australia today is a group of uh, we are basically individuals, we have our own homes, we retreat to our little fortresses, we go off to our work in our own cars and, and we work at our own desk and, and we, we do our own work and then we come home to our own families and so on. Whereas in Old Testament times, it was more like Eastern cultures are today that the extended family was a big deal and therefore community was a big deal because where does your extended family stop? And, and so things were expressed as groups. Um, joy was an emotion that was shared as a group. Suffering and, and loss were shared as a group. And when you see um, a video of some of the tragic circumstances in the Middle East at the moment and you see funerals being held, there's a mass grief. It's not just standing there with their heads gently bowed like we tend to do when something tragic happens in our in our world and we go to a funeral or something, there is an outpouring of it because that's their culture. And this was more like the Old Testament culture at the time because community was a big deal. And in the Old Testament, the interchange between the individual and the community is quite common, and so you might talk about Israel as an individual as well as Israel as a community or as a nation. But in whatever you see uh, joy being expressed in the Old Testament, there's a very strong underlying concept of a relationship to God as the source of the believer's joy. So no matter what passage and what meaning of that there, the concept underneath of that is that God is the source of the Old Testament believer's joy. So that's a shift, has not it, from the subjective joy of us in the, in the Western world where we express joy at receiving things or being experiencing things, uh, this is more an objective joy as a result of what has happened uh, in the, the fact of God as our source of a joy. In the New Testament we see a similar kind of thing but it shifts slightly as well. In the New Testament, uh, the, the primary language was the common Greek or the Koine Greek and uh, so we need to understand the words that are used the several words that are used to describe joy and the first one is very similar to the Old Testament, there's that loud public expression expression of community joy in worship but it's it's now about focusing the attention on God, it's about making a noise, a joyful noise to (coughs) excuse me, to the Lord, so that others would hear and focus attention on God. Another meaning of the word joy in the New Testament is it emphasises, like the Old Testament, a community joy, for instance, a religious festival or a neighbourhood banquet. Those first two are very similar to what we see in the Old Testament uh, as the culture transcends through, transmits through to the New Testament times which is really basically from about 6 BC through to about 100 AD and of course projects into um, Revelation, which is future uh, to this time. Then the, the, the other word, the one that's word is used mainly in the New Testament and describes joy is, is most often is refers both to the subjective state of feelings as well as the things that bring joy. So there's a little bit of that in the New Testament as well, similar to our culture. But it's the uh, things that bring us joy. For instance, uh, we see the focus shift from, from God to Jesus. And in John 15, Jesus is recorded as saying, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What he's saying here is that when there's this, a relationship and obedience, will produce joy. And the joy that Jesus has, which is the joy of the Lord, coming from the joy of God as his nature comes through to us. And so, in the New Testament, there's a strong underlying concept in the majority of times of an intimate relationship with Jesus as the source of joy. In the Old Testament, of course, it was God as the source of joy. And now that focus has shifted to Jesus as the source of joy because Jesus has come uh, to demonstrate and to be God to the people of that day and to us. And uh, the believer's joy is produced within by the Holy Spirit. Now, how does this happen? Or as old Professor Julius Sumner Miller used to say, why is this so? You see, um, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Saviour, when we take... Um, a relationship on with God, as uh, Jake's demonstrated to us, the, the, the subsequent stage of that through obedience, through baptism today. Um, the Holy Spirit comes to abide with, or live within us because God can't physically be here, because Jesus can't physically be here now. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us, or as the Bible describes it, to dwell in us. It's an older word. And produces within us over time what we call the fruit of the spirit just as a planted tree in the right circumstances and uh, and, and looked after in the right kind of way will produce fruit in time and so the fruit of the holy spirit as it tells us in galatians 5:22 is love joy peace or forbearance or patience is another word kindness goodness faithfulness, gentleness and self-control and we heard um, a list being read this morning as a testimony to what is changing in Jake's life. So this fruit grows in us as a result of the relationship with Jesus uh, and God, grow within us. And so explaining that further, I'm, I'm telling you that joy is an outcome of salvation. It's the outcome of salvation is not you sit in the front row and suck lemons. Mind you, I've been to some places where I'm sure that's what was happening by the expressions on faces or they were, or they were sitting on a thumbtack although maybe you would have heard "ah" oh, from that. Is that what's happening, Bruce, is it? <laughs> Joy is an outcome of salvation. It, it flows as a result of our salvation. Accepting Jesus as personal saviour produces being saved in our lives. Then the Holy Spirit is given to us, as the Bible promises, and that produces over time in a relationship with God, fruit that develops. And joy is one of those fruits. One of those fruits. So, that's a brief explanation of the joy of the world and the joy as depicted by God's word. Let me illustrate this in another way. If we suggest that this is our joy scale, this is being extremely sad, this is being extremely joyful or very joyful and this is a time scale which over time now, I'm going to have to move around a little bit here for you guys to see this. A normal life based on the world's value of joy would, would sort of be uh, a bit like an earthquake or my ECG. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was I was pleased to hear John talk about his uh, suffering, his battle with depression last week in, in Phil's presentation and And I identify with that as having suffered clinical depression probably for pretty much all of my life. And if we rely on the world's joy, uh, there are times in our life when things are the pits, joyfully speaking, from a world's point of view. They're the pits. And then uh, your grandchildren come to visit and uh, they sit up on your knee and give you a kiss or something and the world has never looked better. But it's all circumstantial. It's all what's happening to me. And, uh, you know, hopefully over time we we get to iron out some of that, but it still looks like uh, an earthquake is happening somewhere. And uh, then that's what I call scale A, the subjective kind of joy, the world's kind of joy. But there's another kind, and I've only got the one colour pen here, so you'll have to imagine this is green. So we've got a point of salvation here and most people when they first become Christians, they're just bubbling over. They smile all the time. And it's fantastic to witness. And then over time over time they meet the rest of us and the smile dissipates. (laughs) (laughs) They learn bad habits. (laughs) and uh, the woes of the world creep in again and they think they've got to be serious too much of the time and they can't be joyful in the Lord. No, I'm sort of half-joking there, but some of that's true. And so we get this peak and then we flatten out a little bit. But over time, as God's Holy Spirit... See, this is green, this one. You can see that very clearly, can't you? It's green. There's the green. See, there's a green line. (laughs) That's a Band-Aid. How do I know? Because I can hear it. Okay. Um, (laughs) Over time, the fruit of the Holy Spirit develops and our objective joy increases as we realise more and more through study of the Scripture, through being in places where we're fed, that God's joy is destined and designed for each of us to fill us. With a, a joy that's solid and unchangeable by circumstances. It doesn't mean we never feel sad. It doesn't never never feel excited. It means that there's a different kind of joy in the background that doesn't depend on what's happening to me. It's the joy of salvation. It's the joy of assurance, and uh, it's comes uh, at the. Uh, it can it exists at the same time. We've got these two scales happening, but. Um, Which one rules our life is the important thing. Which one governs our life? Is it this seismic activity of our circumstances, of how the boss treats us, of what happens at home, or what happens with the car, or the weather, or or how we're feeling, medically speaking, and so on? Um, Or is it this quiet assurance that it produces in us a solid joy that every now and then will break out into a smile? Even some of our older ones here will break out in a smile at knowing that our joy and as we get older you know we should be more and more breaking out into a joy because we're getting closer and closer to experiencing the fullness of the joy of our Lord as we spend eternity with him and that's something to be looking forward to there's oh, excuse me as a a fellow by the name of uh, Walter Rauschenbusch Um, which means he chased people out of the scrub, Uh, was a 19th century theologian and a Baptist pastor, but we forgive him anyway. He, He wrote this. He said, In the great quiet of God, my troubles are but the pebbles on the road and my joys are like the everlasting hills. In other words, when our eyesight is lifted to the hills where our help comes from, and the Bible tells us, we are joyful even though we are walking on a very hard place at the time. And to keep those into perspective is very important. Right, so that's the two, joy of the world, joy of the Bible. And now let's have a look at how a pathway might be used by us to progress from dealing and, and struggling with the seismic activity that our world produces in our lives to that quiet, uh, increasing joy of the Bible, from subjective to objective. This is moving from a dependent upon circumstances to produce joy. I'll be just so much happier if... I get this. I'll be so much happier if I do that. No, you're right. Um, it's produced from our joy of our relationship. And here at Door of Hope, we talk about pathways all the time. We talk about um, inquirers, people coming to inquire or to seek after knowledge or to understand what's happening in this church mob, what, what being a Christian means, to taking steps to moving through very deliberate pathways to uh, understand uh, what is going on and appropriate that for ourselves. From moving from a person who is seeking after God to a fully devoted, centered, Jesus-centered and others focused Christians. These, the steps that I'm going to outline for you briefly are not necessarily linear. In other words, they don't have to be completed, step one to pass on to step two and so on. But it is helpful to think about that. The first one I want to talk to you about briefly is Alpha. Alpha is a, a good letter for that, alpha being the first of the Greek alphabet. Um, so it's the beginning. And this is a course that we, we run here regularly where um, uh, people that are wanting to know more about uh, the Bible, about God, about Jesus, about the church, um, can come in a non-threatening environment, enjoy a meal in community. Uh, the food is great. It's, you need to do alpha two or three times, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Go back for a second helping, so to speak. Um, And then uh, you watch a DVD which explains in a teaching way uh, some of the concepts that they want to share that night and then there's an opportunity to ask questions. You don't have to ask questions. No questions are are wrong or laughed at or anything. It's a non-threatening environment, but you can begin to step into understanding. Then there's another course that tends to follow that called Intentional Living, uh, which talks about... How do you place all the things that the Bible talks about in your life? How do you become a disciple? Uh, what is reading the Bible all about? What is prayer? What, what, what is being belonging in a small group? All those kinds of things. How do you appropriate that? We also want another course called the marriage course, which is not actually part of this pathway, but it's there uh, to uh, as make marriages better. And I suggest it's called the marriage course. Um, And I suggested to Sandy that we actually amalgamate that with intentional living and make it intentional loving. No, it's all right, we won't. Um, Another step that you can put in place is joining a small group, a connect group. A a group of six to ten people or so that meets in a home or down here at various times during the week or after hours and uh, they have a little Bible study together where you can ask questions, and uh, again, no question is wrong, where you're cared for, you, you uh, discover more about the Bible and relationship with others. Um, and if you're wanting to know about any of these things, uh, at the uh, Hope Central after the service, you can inquire and they can find you more information or uh, connect you with that. Another process we use here is another step on this journey, if you like, is called 20 Minutes in the Chair. We follow a Bible reading, uh daily Bible reading schedule. Today was Proverbs 20, and uh, we, we sit and read that sometime during the day. For me, it's first thing in the morning, and uh, uh, we read that, we reflect on it, we write some thoughts down, and we pray about that. And so we draw closer to God, and he draws closer to us, just as it says in James 4.8, come near to God and he will come near to you. It's just like, it's, For me, it's a steadying time before I begin my day's work. And uh, like any relationship, if it, there's no communication or connection and uh, relationship happening there, the relationship will die. And that's the same with us Christians who are followers of Christ, if we don't have that regular connection. And then the fourth thing I want to suggest to you is regular meeting with others for worship and community, just like we're doing now. But the emphasis there being on regular. Our statistics tell us that in Australia now, churches are seeing people one week in three. I don't know how you can, if you like that, you, how you can cope with missing out on all the stuff that happens on the other two weeks. It'd be sort of like watching episode one and episode three of, of a, a series. You'd have to go back to iView and catch up, surely. Uh, and uh, so... I'm just encouraging you that this regular commitment to, to meeting with others like mine in the times like this, where you can be fed by sometimes by real ministers and real people who can speak, uh, and uh, grow as a result of uh, what you are hearing and being encouraged to. And in Hebrews, the writer says, um, "Let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds." not giving up meeting together as some of the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The world's joy is very different to the joy from a relationship with God. And we're here to assist you to discover for that for yourself and to grow in your understanding of joy along with all the other things that God gives us. But my final encouragement to you is this. And Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, says it so well. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That piece that that writer talks about costs Jesus the cross to provide for us. It doesn't come to us at no cost, it came to us at the cross of the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When, at the appointed time, he went to the cross because it was God's will. And in Hebrews 12, it it describes it this way. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, it certainly wasn't the joy of the cross. That was shameful, it was painful, it was life-destroying. It was humiliating. It was the worst possible punishment that the Romans could inflict at that time. And yet he went for the joy set before him, the joy of the fact that he would be reunited with his father and know the fullness of that joy in every sense of the word, but also because he was making available to us the fullness of joy by being nailed to the cross. And we remember that each week here in this church by celebrating joyfully communion. And communion is simply a word to describe a little meal, if you like, a spiritual meal where we take a piece of biscuit which represents the body that Jesus had being physically nailed to the cross bleeding, uh, humiliated, shamed, nailed up there through his hands and through his feet. We also take a little cup of grape juice, which to us symbolizes the blood that was poured out, shed as a result of that torture on the cross and of the spear going into his side. And why we, why we take this is simply to remind us regularly as we meet that Jesus died so that our joy might be complete. And so I'm going to invite the uh, ushers to come, the helpers to come forward uh, and then I'll pray and we'll distribute those elements to you. And if you're new here or this is all a little bit strange to you or you're on a journey and you you're with us, but you haven't yet understood all of this. Please don't feel embarrassed. Um, there's always a stack of us here that, uh, in this situation, each Sunday, and that's a wonderful thing to be joyful about. Simply pass the tray along the row so that others may share in that. Let me pray, Father God. I want to thank you for this simple illustration that we share each week: the bread, your body, the cup your blood, the body that saves us, the blood that washes us clean through your Holy Spirit and makes us objects of your joy uh, and recipients of your joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.